But it was awesome. Glad to have you with us. If I've met you, I'm Tyler. I'm the campus pastor here at Christ the King Blaine. And God is doing incredible things. We have a lot of incredible things to celebrate this year as a church community. Um, namely, just this opportunity to move downtown. Take what God's doing here. Put it on Main Street. Why not? Let's see what happens. Um, and so be praying with us in that. Um, it's a really exciting opportunity. And also I do want to echo... Uh, what Amy said about the Bible in One Year app. Uh, we just wanted to find a resource that is easy to use, and literally you could read the Bible. You don't even need a physical copy of the Bible. You could go through it on your phone, and uh, it's put out by the same people who do Alpha, so uh, Nick, Nikki and Pippa Gumbel, amazing people, and they have their own um, commentary in there, so you get a lot of good stuff. So um, I started using it. Um, I really enjoy it. I'd recommend if, if you don't have a plan going into 2024, it's a great, you can just get it in the app store, download it, and, uh, and go through that. So, all right, well, hey, I'm going to pray before we get into our last message of the year today. God, thank you so much uh, for what you're doing here in Blaine. Thank you for the, the church. And ultimately, God, we thank you for what we celebrated last week, Christ entering the world. Thank you for making us ambassadors of Christ. Um, Lord, we, we want to reflect the light of Christ uh, into the world, and so open us up to that as we approach your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So yeah, as we close out this year, we're also closing out our series that we've been going through over the last month called God Planned. And the whole idea of this series is, is looking at God's plan of world redemption through Christ. And so we walked through the beginning of Matthew. Most of the time we've been in the, the Gospel of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. And we looked first at the genealogy of Christ and how uh, Matthew presents Jesus as the fulfillment of the good king, King David. Uh, we looked at God's plan coming through Mary's unplanned pregnancy, uh, that God's plan involved this unplanned pregnancy and how that impacted her relationship with Joseph, almost leading to a divorce until God intervened. And then last week on Christmas Eve, we followed the story in Matthew as it talked about three wise men coming from the east, most likely Persia, traveling a thousand miles just to worship at the feet of the newborn king. And so this week we're going to continue to follow the nativity story in the book of Matthew, and it's going to put us in an unexpected place. It's going to bring us from great celebration to great sorrow. It goes from great celebration back into hardship, sorrow, difficulty. And I wonder how many of us, how, how many of us that's Christmas for us, where Christmas is sort of a break from the normal, a break from difficulty of our jobs, our lives, and we get a, we get a little bit of distraction in a sea of difficulty. And I think following this train in Matthew, it's similar, is that, is that there was a great celebration, and then it was right back to reality for Joseph and Mary. And so we're going to read Matthew 2, uh, verse 13 through 22 this morning, if you have your Bibles, um, or you can look on the screens. And this is what it says. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. 
Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. So the very same night the wise men leave, Joseph gets a vision. Get up and get out. Leave. You can imagine the high and the low of that moment. The celebration of these, uh, the, these uh, rich wise men from the east bringing gifts and worshiping Jesus. They saw the significance of the baby that Mary had born. And then that night, God told them to leave because, because Herod wanted to kill Jesus. The celebration was over very quickly. You might know that feeling at Christmas. It's like, well, Christmas is over. Um, I, turned, I turned on my car today, and Christmas music came on. I'm like, can't listen to it anymore. It's done. Um, so you might have that Christmas is over moment. This was that moment for Mary and Joseph. Christmas was over. And so there's really no rest for Mary and Joseph, if you think about it. They were, they were uh, travelers into Bethlehem, no place to stay, had to give birth in a stable, and then they find a house in Bethlehem, and then, and then within months, maybe a year, they're back on their feet, and they're walking all the way to Egypt. And so God's warning was, warned Joseph to get out of Bethlehem because Herod was on his way. Herod, if you remember, was the king of the province of Judea at that time in the Roman Empire. And he, had, he realized that he had been duped by the, the Magi, the wise men, that they weren't going to go back and tell him where the child was. So in a rage, he orders, because he can, he orders that his men go and kill all the children under two in that town. And so Herod acts reacts vindictively you know so in, this is Herod's response that he would unleash this evil plan on the, this obscure town of Bethlehem 
Matthew ties it back to a prophecy in Jeremiah 31 that talks about Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel, if you look in Genesis, is Jacob's wife. She's considered a matriarch of Israel and was buried, happened to be buried in the town of Bethlehem. So it's like Rachel weeps for her children where she's buried. So as you can see in this, in this story, you see two things. You see that the baby Jesus, in the baby Jesus, God's goodness has no bounds. God is incredibly good to offer the Son of God in the flesh for our redemption. God's goodness has no bounds. God gives his only Son to save humanity. On the other hand, we see that Herod, in Herod, in, in the king, that the evil of man, evil of humanity, has no bounds. So there's no bounds to the goodness of God. There's also no bounds to the evil in humanity. And we see this in the killing of what scholars think is about 20 children or so. Bethlehem was a small town, and so they imagine that, that there was about 20 kids, 20, 20 children killed in Herod's rage. So the baby king and his family flee. And we see that right after this joyous moment comes sorrow. This narrative in Matthew reveals something about this place we all call home. It's not just then and there, but it's, it's now and it's here. Is that this world is full of sorrow. This could have happened anywhere with any king. None of us can escape the sorrow of this world. It's everywhere you look. And I was thinking about, about it this week. Um, you know, it's almost been two years since the war in Ukraine started. You know, when it, when it first happens, it's shocking. And then it kind of settles into reality. Like there's a war going on somewhere in the world. And I often wondered as I go about my normal, routine American life, what's it like living in Ukraine right now? Recent estimates from Ukraine tell us about 70,000 Ukrainian soldiers have died defending their homeland in the last two years. Just to put that in perspective, throughout the entirety of the Vietnam War, about 17 years, 58,000 Americans died. So within two years, uh, we've had more Ukrainian soldiers killed. Um, we've had um, 10,000 civilians killed in Ukraine. 500 children have died. So it's been this brutal and devastating war. This land is filled with grief. And this week I found an article from the Associated Press that talks about what life is like to live in Kiev, the capital city right now. It begins, life in the capital of a war-torn country seems normal on the surface. In the mornings, people rush to their work holding cups of coffee. Streets are filled with cars and in the evenings, restaurants are packed. But the details tell another story. Numerous buildings across Kiev bear the scars of Russian bombardment. Sandbags are stacked around monuments, museums, and office buildings to protect from possible attack. At night, streets are empty after the midnight curfew comes into force. Then the article zeroes in on a 29-year-old woman named Aliana Vishnitska, and, it, who's, and she's quoted to say, death has become a very routine part of our life. It says that she lives in downtown Kiev, and this is how the article describes her life. She tries to create comfort in her rented apartment by buying small trinkets and cultivating indoor plants. 
She has grown accustomed to objects being shaken off the windowsills each night by the vibrations of waves. After each night with loud explosions, she develops migraines. But like millions of others in the capital, she continues to work and, in her words, celebrate life in the breaks from the war. Now, I'll be honest, it's hard for me to imagine living in a world like that with bombs going off all the time, where grief is constant, death is continuous. But regardless, in this situation, this woman tries to celebrate life, continue on bearing the burden of grief and pressing on. Now, we don't live in a war zone. We don't, the situation here is not what it is in Ukraine. But I, I go there this morning to affirm that the world has not changed. The world has not changed. The world is still full of grief and sorrow. And that there is devastation here in this time and place. Now, more personally, you might be in a season of grief this morning. Or you may live with the scars of past abuse or trauma. You may walk, just walk the streets and see things like poverty, homelessness, drug addiction, and feel very concerned about those things. There is sorrow all around us. But here's the good news of God's plan in Matthew 2. Jesus was sent to our world full of sorrow. Jesus came into a world full of sorrow to change it, not to leave it the same, but to change it. Jesus came to bring joy to a weary and heavy world. In fact, Jesus fully entered into human sorrow in order to save us from our own grief. Jesus took on our grief in his humanity. That's what it says in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is a prophecy of Jesus who would come. And it says this in Isaiah 53, verse 3, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Usually when we talk about the cross, we talk about Jesus dying for our sins. And all, this, all the things that we've done wrong. But did you know, here in Isaiah, Jesus also died for our sorrow, our grief, the, the sins that have been committed against us. Because the two are connected. Sin creates sorrow. The sin committed against you creates sorrow in your life. The sin you've committed creates sorrow in others' lives. And the sin that you create creates sorrow in your own life. That is the consequence of sin. And Jesus, when he died, he came not to just resolve the guilt-sin issue. He came to resolve the sorrow issue as well. That we would find joy in relationship with Jesus. In relationship with Jesus. Jesus doesn't just address our guilt. He addresses the condition of our soul. The condition of our soul. We can experience joy in Jesus where we once had grief. We can also experience freedom from what sin has done to us. Not just the sin that we commit, but what sin has done to us. Because Christ carries our wounds on the cross as well. 
It says, by his stripes, by the wounds on his back, we are healed. Jesus' Jesus's coming was all about healing our broken hearts, healing the painful parts of our lives and of our experience. And this means that you can experience freedom in Christ from your own devastation, the, your, the own difficulty in your life. He can, Christ can set you free from the wreckage in your life, whether you caused it or someone else caused it. But guess what? Probably there's two people that caused it, right? They're both, both others and yourself. Jesus is boundless in his goodness. Boundless. And there is no limit to the changing effects that his love has on us. His ability to redeem is unmatched. So, the good news is, if you feel weary and burdened this morning by the world, God's plan is for you to find rest from those, those burdens and that weariness in him, in relationship with Christ, to find healing, and even the ability to forgive. In us being forgiven, we are able to let go. We are able to, to forgive. And so, getting back to this story, we see that Mary and Joseph, Jesus does not come into a perfect world. He doesn't come into an ideal situation. He doesn't come into a place where he's pampered. He comes into a very hard world. And as we're going to look at in Psalm 23, he comes into the valley of the shadow of death. Mary and Joseph have to flee to get away from death. But even in that, even in this world of sorrow, God is moving. God's plan is unfolding. See, God doesn't just leave, leave Mary and Joseph in sorrow, but he protects them. He protects the child and his family, and he warns them and sends Joseph and Mary and Jesus to Egypt where they will be safe. And so we all have a need especially in trying seasons of our, life, of our lives. It's one of our basic needs. Uh, you'd find this on any psychology chart, but it's the need of shelter. We all need shelter. He, just in general, humans, we all need shelter. But what we see in Scripture is that we actually need shelter at a spiritual level. We don't just need shelter like a roof over our head. We need shelter from God himself. We need the shelter of God. Because no matter how hard we might try, we cannot avoid sorrow in our lives. Tragedy will come. Jobs will change. Jobs will be lost. Illness will come. Illness will show up. And in those times, we need to look to God to be our shelter. In those times, we need to look to God to be a refuge, a high place. A strong tower for us. God provides shelter to Mary and Joseph before they even knew they needed it. God warned them to flee and told them where to go. Head to Egypt. You'll be safe in Egypt. And so this is what I want you to see this morning, is God shelters his people amid sorrow and suffering. God does not just leave them to suffer. He shelters them amid sorrow and, su and suffering. He does. It's you, what you, the kind of shelter that you see in the life of Mary and Joseph could be described as God's guiding presence. God's guiding presence is the shelter that Mary and Joseph lean into 
It's the shelter that David leaned into. It's the shelter that Jesus' disciples leaned into. It's God's guiding presence in their life was the ultimate source of shelter. I mentioned Psalm 23. Now, Psalm 23, it's probably the most famous psalm in the Bible. You've probably heard it, if not from the Bible, from a rap song somewhere. Um, but, uh, but this is rap lyrics, sorry. I, you know, I, I'm working on this. Um, but here's God's guiding presence described as a shepherd leading his sheep. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We find shelter in God's guiding presence, leading us. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though evil surrounds us, we find rest in the shelter of God. And this is literally what Joseph and Mary experience. They walk through the valley of the shadow of death. They walk out of this town of Bethlehem before Herod can get to them. You know, in Christmas, this is that Christmas is over thing. You know, we sing like, oh, little town of Bethlehem, you know, and how sweet and serene it is. But we don't, we don't read the next chapter, which is pretty dark, which is the valley of the shadow of death. And Mary and Joseph flee Bethlehem out of that. And their shelter is that God is with them. God is guiding them. God will not leave them high and dry. I think this challenges some of our assumptions about shelter in our culture, in our time. I think we all have this desire to create safety around us, to create a bubble that is impenetrable by the world. You know, where no matter what's going on in the world, at least around me and my family, we are fine. We're good. And, you know, if we have a lot of resources, maybe it's building more walls. Maybe it's creating more of our own little environment. And this is not, I'm not saying anything about, like, we, we should have safe houses and good homes. But that should not be our focus in life. Our focus in life, where we get our shelter, is not from the four walls around us. Where we get our sense of shelter is in God's guiding presence. The problem here isn't that we have homes that are safe. The problem is when that is all that life is about for us. Christians, what if that pursuit of our own shelter is keeping us from God's greater vision for our lives? Because like Christ, we are also called in to the world. We are called into our neighbor's suffering. We are called into relationship with people. And sometimes that means going into places that are really difficult. God has called us into a world that's suffering and a world full of sorrow. That's a really encouraging end-of-the-year message, I know. But what I want to talk about is that we are ambassadors of Christ. That's who we are. This is not our home. We are passing through. We are primarily called to be ambassadors of Christ. Not that we are Christ, but we are supposed to reflect the light of Christ to the world. And how are other people going to know if we aren't willing to step into relationship with other people? We aren't willing to take risks, walk across the street, down the block, 
talk to your coworkers, your friends. God has not made us to be stationary. God has made us to move, to go and to follow God's guiding presence. We are a son or daughter of God called to bear witness to Christ in the world. Christian, God has called you to enter in. Enter into the world. And God's idea of shelter is that you are always secure and protected in him. That God will shelter you in your going. God's shelter is his presence with us. And this is what we see. I'm going back to the Psalms. You might realize it's my favorite book, so I'm just going to keep going back there. Um, But shelter is a theme all throughout the book of Psalms. When David writes, David writes this psalm, I'm going to look at Psalm 17. He often writes psalms when he's in trouble, when people are after him, when he's in the midst of a battle, and he finds a little safe place, and he writes, writes these psalms. And in Psalm 17, David says this, this is verse 8, Keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings, from the wicked who are out to destroy me, from my mortal enemies who surround me. Hey, there's real pressure. God, would you just hide me in the shelter of your wings, the shadow of your wings? Now, David isn't stationary. He's moving. He's moving. He's trusting God. But his prayer is for God to hide him in the shadow of his wings. We get this picture of like a mother bird with her wing over her chicks. Like, that is everything for those chicks, right? And that could be protection from the heat of the sun, uh, from the elements, and from danger. But that is what, that's the kind of relationship David is pursuing with God, is that my security is in the shadow, is in the covering of God. And that word shadow means protection or shade. That God is actually, we're going to step into some heat, but God's going to shadow us in that heat. God's going to provide relief, provide comfort, provide provision, resources as we step out. Like, this is the promise of God. There's a lot of heat in the world we live in, and God wants to protect us as we move in this world. This world that's not our home. One day we'll live in a place without pain, suffering, sorrow, grief. But right now, God's going to shelter us in whatever he calls us to. Right now, we're living lives as ambassadors for Christ. We're a part of his redemption plan. He wants to save the world. So in the middle of the heat of our lives, God protects us like a mother bird protects her chicks. God does not leave us exposed. We take steps of faith, and God does not leave us exposed. He covers us. That's the kind of shelter we see modeled in the Bible, including here in Matthew 2. Mary and Joseph find shade. He, he doesn't keep them in Judea. He leads them to Egypt, where they have shade. They're following God's guiding presence. And so God's shelter continues for them, even after they have to run. God appears again to Joseph in a dream, not once, but two more times. We'll just read the end again. It says, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, went to the land of Israel. 
But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Again, having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So God continues to protect Joseph. God's guiding presence continues to protect Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. First, he tells, he tells uh, Joseph that Herod is dead. You can go home. He's, he, you can go home. And then Joseph starts to take those steps, starts to walk in faith uh, towards, towards Israel. Then he finds out that there's this new king, Archelaus, who's there. And history tells us that Archelaus was just as bad as his father, Herod. So Joseph gets a little worried. God gives him another dream. If I was Joseph, I'd be afraid to go to sleep because God keeps talking to me when I fall asleep. But Joseph, uh, God appears to Joseph again when he, in his fear, in his, in his fear, and tells him to go north to a region called Galilee who's under the rule of a different king. And he, he ends up in this little town called Nazareth. Nazareth is very nondescript. It's a backwater town. Nothing is going on in Nazareth. It's perfect for Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. God led them to a place where they could grow up, where they could be a family without much fuss, without without a, a emperor bearing down on them. If you think about it, Jesus spent a majority of his life in a little town with not much going on. So be thankful you live in Blaine, okay? Be thankful. <laughs> but God led them to a place out of the reach of a crazy tyrant so his plan could take shape. And it was God's chosen place for Jesus and his family. They went through a lot. If you want to go through the list again, they went through a lot. Always traveling, running. They were refugees. And God leads them to this little town, which is, there's nothing going on. In fact, it gets made fun of in the region uh, later. But Nazareth is the place where God restores the souls of Joseph and Mary. Now, I want to go back to Psalm 23. So I read Psalm 23, verse 4. Look at what comes before it. Psalm 23, verse 1. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is the guiding presence of God that he would lead us to the quiet places where our souls can be restored. That he cares not just about like how much Jesus stuff we're doing out in the world, but he cares for our inner self, our inner person, and he wants to lead us to a place where our inner person is restored. Nazareth ends up being the place where God restores the souls of Joseph and Mary. It's just a nondescript little town, not flashy. But if you think about what they had been through, this is the place where they can just be a family. And they have more kids. And this is the place where the Messiah is raised up. This little, out-of-the-way, quiet place. 
We don't really hear much about Jesus's growing up years outside of one story where he goes to the temple. But what, what we can see is that this was, a, this was a quiet place. It was uneventful. And that was perfect for, for Jesus in growing up to be, um, to, to be the one to save the world. So until Christ returns, there's always going to be sorrow in this world. No matter how much we try to fend it off, like our lives will always be touched by sorrow. And when we serve Christ, when we say yes to Christ, there's still going to be drama in our lives. There's still going to be difficulty. There's still going to be opposition, especially as we take steps towards God. But at the same time, when we follow God, he leads us to places like Nazareth. He leads us to places that restore our soul. And I'm not just talking about Blaine, all right? But he leads us to places where we can find restoration of our hearts. Because you know what? God cares about that. God cares an awful lot about the condition of our hearts. God doesn't want us to be rushing around uh, like emotionally raw and exposed as Christians. Like God wants us to find our center in Christ, to find healing. And if you need healing this morning, we want to pray for you. We want to pray for you to experience the healing of God. But God's heart is to continually restore your soul in the middle of a sorrowful world that you would find restoration for your soul. So as we pivot towards 2024, it's a new year. We always talk about resolutions, all that. But my question for you today as we end is, do you know where your Nazareth is? Do you know where your Nazareth is, the place where you meet with God? If you don't have a place like that, I would love for this to be that place. I would love for this to be that place where you can meet with God, find restoration for your soul. And I can, I can say that this community has been that for me too. I mean, we've been here six years. We've been in Blaine six years, and it feels like before that, my, or, well, I, I know before that, my family, we jumped around a lot, and I feel like God's led us to a season where we've, we've had some peace, and it's beautiful. And so if, if you need a community like that, I want this to be that community for you. And so that's kind of macro, but let's also think about the micro. Let's think about the micro, because God isn't just concerned with with the, the big overall. He's concerned about the everyday. Where does your soul find restoration every day, every week, every month? It gets back to this idea of, of Sabbath rest. In the beginning of time, God instituted the Sabbath. One day a week where we would rest, where we would celebrate what God's done in our lives, where we would look on his creation read his word, enjoy time with our family, and be thankful. And so maybe that's something this year that you need to start instituting. One day a week where you don't work, where you don't even cook. You get everything done beforehand so that you can just rest one day a week. And in the everyday, do you, are you meeting, do you have a time and place where you meet with God? It could be as simple as taking a walk every day. And just saying, God, show me what you have for me today. It could be that simple. It could be joining a group, joining a, a group where you share or you ask questions. But 
because New Year's, we're always looking for New Year's resolutions, just ask yourself that question. Do I have a Nazareth? What does my rhythm of soul restoration look like? And if this is all new to you, I want you to know it all starts with a simple prayer of asking Jesus to restore your soul, to come into your life, where we surrender our lives to Jesus and he leads us. So my prayer is if you haven't experienced the guiding presence of God in your life, my prayer is that this would be that year and that you would experience that for the first time. So let's pray as we close. Lord, we want to meet with you this year. We want to meet with you in 2024. God, I pray that you would meet us where we're at today. If we're here and there is sorrow in our life, or we are going back to reality on Tuesday, or whatever it might be, I pray that you would just meet us in that place. And God, that we, wouldn't, we, we would see you for who you are. God, that, that you aren't cruel, um, but that you love us and you came to restore us. Lord, would you help us to understand who Jesus is? That we wouldn't just see a Jesus who takes away our sin, but also takes away our sorrow and replaces it with joy. So Lord, I pray for joy in 2024. I pray for restoration in 2024. I pray for healing in 2024. In this community and outside of this community, in this city, Lord, we pray for healing. That can only come from you. No words of wisdom can heal like you can heal. So, Lord, we pray that your guiding presence would fall heavy on us today, that we wouldn't look for security in what we can build, that we wouldn't look for security in what we have, but that we would only find and only look for security in, in a vibrant relationship with Christ, guiding and directing our souls, the one who came to save us. So, Lord, I pray for that. And Lord, as we enter into the new year, God, I pray that you would just continue to, to be at work in, in our church and in this community, that you would continue to go before us, God, and open doors. And uh, thank you for providing for us. Thank you for all the things that you've done this year. Thank you, God, for being so good to us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.